Good morning, Bella. Oh, good morning. Hello. Uh, welcome back to Carlisle Studios podcast. Welcome. Uh, it is just me and my wife, Bella Hunter, co-worker, co-owner of Carlisle Tattoo Co. here today. And you're going to get a little bit of an insight into... Our love life. Uh, well, I don't know about love life. I was going to say relationship. not much going Relationship, on but... Into our marriage. Yeah. So, um... I think we'll just kick it off with a weekly recap, even though we're only halfway through our week. Yeah, we are only halfway through, far out, and it feels like it's been a month. It has felt like a very long week. Yeah, it's been... I'm tired. What did you do this week? This week? I I have to go through my photos every week to know. (laughs) I'm shocking. Um, This week? Well, technically, our week starts on a Tuesday, but Mm -hmm. in my photos, my week starts on a Monday, and I spent my Monday doing not a whole lot. It was great. I went and looked at a couch that we thought we wanted and now we're not even going to get. Yep. And then what tats did I do this week? Oh, I did a really cool um, big reaper. On the ribs. Yeah. Wait, maybe that was last week. I don't know when it was, but it was sick. We didn't finish (laughs) it. It was um, a regular customer and I've done like a few on his front and he wanted to do like the front bits of the tummy, but he didn't really realise that it went across to his ribs and fuck, I think I destroyed him. We probably have like 15 minutes left of the shading. Oh, did not finish? Nah, and he was like, I just can't. And I was like, I really don't want to torture you this much. Like, we'll get it done in the next like two weeks or something. I could see that he was struggling, but not. I didn't think it was that bad. He did so well, but nah, I thought he was going to pass out if I kept going. So I was like, we're done. Um, So I'm excited to finish that in the next week or two, I think. And then did a couple of tigers. They're always good fun. Nice little boxer. Mm -hmm. I like doing colour. I did the boxer in colour. That was a fun one. Don't really do much colour. No, you don't. And now here I am. Okay. Don't know what's on today. I'll look at the diary later. Well, you missed a key day. What did I miss? I think you got our Sundays and Mondays mixed up because on Monday you didn't go and look at the couch. Oh, I did. On Sunday I looked at the couch. That was on Sunday. On Monday we were in the shop, um, the studio that we've got. One Carlisle. of the studios on Carlisle Street. So, it's the main one. It's called 17... It's at 178 Carlisle Street. And we were filming an ad with Channel 7 and Nova 100, um, which I don't know how long they'd been planning it, but we only found out about it, like, literally one week ago. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really have anything to do with us. They just wanted to use the location and... It had nothing to do with us. Use, um, they ended up having Bella and the shop apprentice, Jack... Um, Which I feel like I got stitched up hard there because I'm shocking in front of a camera. Well, you look like you're enjoying it. I was. It was fine. (laughs) I don't like being in front of a camera. I really just am not good at it. And I was trying to be like, to hell, you're doing it. Like, I'm not bloody being in it. You're the main guy. They wanted a girl. And then the guy from Nova was like, yeah, no, we really wanted a female. And I was like, fuck. I knew that would happen. But so that was an abnormal um, Monday, which is our usually our day off. So we spent that filming. Um, it didn't take too long, though. No, it didn't take too and long. And they were lovely. Um, and then the rest of my week, what did I do? Tuesday. Oh, man, I'm blanking here. I had it all prepared and now I've fully forgotten. I feel like everyone is at oh, this time no. in their year. It's Christmas. We're all tired. It's yep. like far out. Tuesday did... A few flash tattoos, which I would describe as sort of palm size. They're all black and grey. Um, Wednesday, I actually didn't work on Wednesday, no. which is very unusual. Very rare. I think yeah. Callum has probably had like a day off, like for himself, maybe once every year, if that. And Wednesday was the day. Well, yeah, I used to work every day, seven days a week. And so now I having two days off a week feels like a like a massive time off for me. Yeah, So lazy to have bones. an additional day off during the week was unusual. And so I, f- I had to drive to work all alone. Yep. yep. But I did come back yesterday feeling very refreshed. But then I shot myself in the foot because I triple booked myself, which... Only happens when Hal decides to <laughs> enter his own DMs and do his own bookings. Yes. So it was, I, I can only blame myself. Um, ultimately, got to tattoo everyone, but um, there was a lot of waiting around. And, and I, you were a bit rattled. So to those customers, I apologise. And yes, the stress-free hell that came back yesterday morning, 
Didn't was, last was very not, long. Was not stress-free <laughs> for very long. And then, yeah, today, here we are. Let me just say, that's what you get for having a day off. I know. I felt like... It's karma. Well, yeah, I sort of felt like I deserve this. Yeah. The world can't let me have a relaxing day off and then <laughs> nah. come back and have a nice day at work. Nah, never. But... Um, All worked out? Yeah. So, now I reckon we jump into a few questions. We're still reeling off those first questions that everyone asked us. Because there, there were so many. Yeah. And I feel rude only like answering one or two. I know. And we found out doing this, doing the few episodes that we've done, is that, you know, I'll, I'll write down 10 questions in here and we'll end up only talking about three of them. Yeah, because we just talk about we just shit. end up talking for ages. So, I guess one, which is about you and me, Bella, because we're the only people in the room. Uh-oh. How did we meet? Oh, we met... Uh, when we were, I think we were 12 or 13. I think 12. We were in year seven. Well, whatever age year seven is. Yeah, whatever. Um, we met in the first week of school in year seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Hal moved to the school that I was at. Um, I don't really remember I don't that actually well. remember meeting you either. Yeah, I don't remember it. I remember seeing you, like, running across the oval playing footy and I... Remember saying to my friends, is that a guy or a girl? Because you had the <laughs> longest hair. I used to get that a lot, actually. Yeah. I was. It was only from a distance and I was young, so that wouldn't say that now. Yeah. But, yeah, his hair was, like, past his shoulders and he was, like, running around, like, kicking the footy. I would have been a very large girl back then. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> I, was, I was a larger girl. So, I thought I was tall. Yeah, we met in when I moved um, into high school. To Wesley College. Yes. And that was it, really. I think, well, yeah, that's how we met. Yeah. At school, we started dating pretty early on. Hal, like, came up to me at my locker and it was, like, that typical, like, you're in high school and someone, like, wants to be your boyfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And all of your friends around you, there's, like, 20 kids, like, surrounding you and you're just trying to, like, pack your bag and leave. And someone's like, he wants to be your boyfriend. And then I was like, oh, shit. No, I don't remember that. I, but. That's what I remember. Okay. And it was a lot. I'd said yes because it was peer pressure. And here we oh, are. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yep. okay. Well, I was scared. And you, you just chose to stick you, with it, eh? You were huge. You were like I the tallest, large. muscliest thing. You had facial hair. We were 12 or 13. I didn't have facial hair in your seven. You did. You had like the startings I of a little moustache. You did. No. I, I'm going to ask your mother. I'll get photos up and prove I will that too. I didn't. And yeah, here we are. And then, yeah, essentially we dated on and off all through high school and after that and just kept going, really. You just couldn't resist? No. I think I had one other girlfriend during high school and you, I don't know if you were actually going out, but no, you- No, never had another boyfriend. No, but you were hanging out with someone else. Yeah, and we won't And we won't say names nah, because that's awkward. one of them's somewhat famous now. <laughs> I would say that. It just sounds weird. It does sound that. weird. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, the girl that I was dating and the boy that Bella was hanging out with are now together. Yeah, they've been together for a few years. They were also like dating all through school yeah, as well. So did a little swaparoonie. When people hear that, they're like, they get rattled. Well, it's like it's very weird. Yeah. Or it's just I would say it's extremely uncommon. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's that. That's how we met, really. And then the next question I've got here is, well, you don't really get to answer this because it's not about you, but... I like that. Um, life before tattooing dash Hell's footy career. Oh, okay. Yeah. My life before tattooing was pretty boring. Pretty. I wasn't having the best fun in life. And I'm finally happy with Well, you went to uni for a life. little bit. Yeah. And then... You were working for Mr. Fly, which is a child's wear company. Yeah, children. Hal, that- it's like the most awkward thing for Hal to explain. He knows nothing about children or babies or anything. No. And he knew nothing about my job. But yeah, it was just like a children's wear brand. Um, but I actually did have technically like a career before that. Oh, I worked in event management and I yep. was an event manager. And I loved that. But in Melbourne, it's like a bit of a seasonal thing. Yes. Um, I can only imagine. And I was just a bit sick of not having a life for six months of the year and then the other six months, you know. So Yeah, being flat out. Yeah. And for me, 
So essentially, well, I think it's only a few weeks after school finishes yeah. that they have the AFL draft. I uh, no, I think it's a few weeks before. Nah, it's it's not because oh. the day that I I, the day know. that I got drafted. I didn't get drafted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for. The, all the international listeners, because our second highest country of listeners is the United States. Oh, yeah, party in the USA. Um, AFL is Australian Rules Football, and it's I would well, I think it's our national sport. It's definitely our biggest sport in Australia. Way and better than cricket. <laughs> I would say. I would say too. But cricket's a summer sport. AFL's a winter sport, so you can play both. Yes. Um, it would be probably a combination between sort of. NFL, so American football, and rugby. I think that's how most people overseas would describe it. Yes. It's played on, I think, the biggest sporting oval of any sport in the world. Really? Yeah. I thought like baseball or something would nah, have been they're bigger. small. Oh. Um, and I it's wouldn't a, know. I've never been to a baseball It's game. a 360-degree game, unlike, say, rugby, which is just one team's pushing forward, or the same with NFL. Um, if you YouTube, you know, AFL, I'm sure there'll be lots of highlights and stuff like that. Maybe one of Hal Hunter. I doubt it. <laughs> I definitely doubt it. Um, yeah, so all through high school, that was essentially my goal um, from when I was maybe 12 years old was to to play that professionally. I reckon um, before then. Well, I only started playing junior footy when I was 10. Yeah, okay. And I think it takes a little while. I think everyone, when they're young, especially in... Melbourne wants to play AFL with young boys. Well, now they have AFLW, but at the time there was no professional. AFLW was AFL women's. There was no professional women's team when I was younger, uh, competition. So for well, all of my friends, our goals was obviously, or dream was to play AFL. Yeah. And yeah, I was just really lucky that my core group of friends at my junior footy team all sort of had a similar desire to try and achieve the most they could and you know that became sort of our collective goal when we were quite young and yeah essentially that was my main goal and I had to attend school legally really and then that became just a I played school football and so let me just go into this Hal was like the golden child at school I don't know about that you were with all the teachers and everything because he technically was on like a general excellence scholarship because we didn't have sports scholarships then. And he was playing in like the first footy, which is like the highest team or like the best team at your school at the time. And he would be allowed to leave school early, come to school late, like be able to eat in class, all of this crap. Like (laughs) you were literally treated like royalty because you could kick a fucking ball. It was bullshit. Well... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue against any of those things because they did all happen. Um, but I think that's that's <laughs> whether whether you agree with it or not. I think that's the reality in a lot of things. You know, it's sport. Uh, good at something, and you in get what you want. a lot of countries is really just the game. Yeah. But I think being decent at that affords you to go to the gym at school in lunch. some luxuries and whether that should be the case or not be the case I'm not the one to say but um that was just the reality for me and I think honestly if I wasn't doing the sport and stuff like that I wouldn't have finished school no no way um and I wonder what you would be doing I think from the outside I've always thought about this the, the perspective that you had as another student and seeing say some of the privileges I got or leniency I got around schooling I think it's easy to say that, uh, you know, just because he was good at footy and stuff like that. But I think there was a, a large portion of those sort of exceptions that I had that were actually to keep me at school. Oh, 100%. I'm saying it to be like, screw you, but you were a bit difficult. Well, I just I was just like badly behaved, poor attention. And so was I. We were yeah, both shocking we were, at school. But I think I had the advantage of they had something they could do for me. Yes. As in, it was like... To keep you dedicated and, like, keep you on track. Yeah, well, in year nine, I remember they were going to expel me. Uh, I um, think they were going to expel you a few times, but year nine yeah. was probably the worst one. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go to a different school and play footy there. And I'm not sure what got said with my parents or whatever, but from from my understanding, they were like, oh, we can ex- extend you into the senior football program. 
So that means that you got to play with like the year 12s and everyone yeah. in the first. And I think in hindsight, I look back and it probably wasn't the best thing when I was in, <laughs> I was only 14, 13, Yeah, 14 and you were maybe. playing with like the 18-year-olds and yeah. stuff. Um, but definitely kept me going to school. So, yeah. and I, I, I'm actually quite proud that I finished school. Not that I did well or anything like that, but I- You did better than me. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, I was also yeah. terrible at school. But that's something I look back and I'm like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I finished school. Not that I've gone on to do anything with it really, but I think no. I easily could have been someone who just said, oh, I don't want to do this. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I'm glad I sort of stuck it out. So anyway, to get back to what I was saying, all through high school, that was my goal. Got into essentially state level football, the national carnival and stuff like that when you're sort of around 16, 17, um, playing for, we've got like a TAC cup, which is the feeder competition for under 18 players into the AFL. Um, and I was doing that. And then probably when I was like around 17, started to get heaps of like soft tissue injuries and stuff like that. When it all started. Um, and ultimately, that was probably like the downfall of my AFL career. But I mean, I don't, I, I leave my career not with any regrets, really. No, none. Um, I look back now, it's been 10 years since I've played a game and uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and there's lots of things I would have done differently. But I think, I think I probably wouldn't even have got as far as I did if, if I hadn't just, like my whole thing was just trying hard. I think that... I put you on the biggest pedestal for, this is probably the nicest thing I might say to you mm, for a while, so say it. make sure you're focused. I put you on a very, very high pedestal because you don't quit. You won't give up. Once you want something, you're going to almost put everything else to the side to achieve that goal. And I think, like, you're the hardest worker I've ever met. Um. And yeah, you are my husband. Thank you so for I that. I appreciate nice the things. nice words, Bella. But well, it's all I, don't, getting. I don't think, I wouldn't say necessarily I'm the hardest worker or I've, I've done anything that other people haven't done or whatever because there's lots of people who I grew up with have gone on to do m more successful things in areas like yeah, football. Yeah, but I but, see the hard work that you do behind the scenes um, that I would never see for others. But for myself personally, like um, I, I definitely credit any, you know, success or whatever that I had or whether you deem ethic. it success or not you know but I, I got as far as I did I think mostly through effort like I was never the most talented player no way um, you were never the fittest you were never, never the, the fittest never the most skillful like I was always large body um Big which chunky. definitely helped me um that was like probably my main attribute but I think yeah, I think it was more sort of a lot of it was mindset and effort and stuff like that, especially when the injury started to happen. And there um, were a lot. <laughs> yeah, in my draft year, so as a as an under eighteen year old, so I t you turn eighteen often in your in the year that you can get drafted at the end of the year, which is my last year in high school. I, I think I only played three or four games that year, and mm. I was lucky enough that they're in the national carnival and. Um, it just so happened that you were healthy enough at those times with your yeah. fitness that you could play in the and, games um, that mattered. I think I played okay. I can't really remember. But I, I was lucky that, you know, I had a lot of sort of people in my corner, you backing know, vouching you. for me and backing me in and stuff like that. And was lucky enough to get picked up as a rookie to um, Essendon Football Club, which is one of the, the big four teams in the AFL. And, yeah, I, I, I do remember, like, I didn't get picked up in the main draft and then and then I think the next day they had the rookie yes. draft and I was just lying on the floor and I was pretty certain I wasn't going to get picked up because no clubs had reached out to me or anything after. You were pretty down in the dumps. Well, yeah. And, I, you know, like thousands of people apply for the draft yeah. and not not only if a few get picked. So, um, I think I was, you know, realistic and, and as, we, as we were all progressing as sort of young teens and stuff through, you know, the younger... Called a qual I guess qualification of getting into TSC Cup teams and stuff like yeah. that. You know, there's there's people who sort of drop out, and you know, your close friends who had the same goals as you and same dreams and stuff. And I think it comes, 
you know, well, for everyone except the people who go on to have stellar AFL careers, which is only a handful of people, you know, everyone at some point realizes that they're probably not going to achieve what they wanted to and not going to have the the dream career and they've got to be realistic about it. And um, yeah, for me, it was sort of like my goal was just to get as far as I could and I was going to try everything I possibly could. And in hindsight, that was, you know, partly to my detriment in the end. But yeah, lucky enough to get picked up and on my phone rang and um, I flew to Gold Coast the next day for a training camp, um, which, you know, as an 18, like freshly 18 year old, like that was a, I guess like a a surreal experience that, well, every draftee goes through it. But I think the hardest thing that I realized over that first year of being a full-time professional athlete was that everyone else, you know, like you included Bella, really have no concept of what your life has become and what you personally need to do to you know achieve the goals that you want to achieve and that was always the thing I struggled with the most you know my family was fantastic about it and they always knew that I was you know quite selfish about my goals and that meant you know sacrificing time with them or relationships your parents have been so supportive all this sort of stuff crazy but I think I think that was probably the thing we struggled with the most with our relationship was it was by far the hardest. You know, most most other 18s finish your 18-year-olds finish school and go either go into uni or have a year off or just get a part-time job or something <laughs> like that. Sorry, I had to cough. Um and I think yeah, I just think it was like you had there was a no concept of what my life had become and well you'd pretty much like finished high school and I was like yes like great we're gonna have a couple of weeks off and have like some summer holidays and it'll be the best and then my boyfriend gets drafted and has this professional job and that obviously when you're fresh 18 you're sort of like oh I've just finished school I want to have like a bit of time to myself just to relax and off he goes and our life sort of just like changed in a second yeah and i didn't think i saw you for like a couple of days or well i went away to gold coast for the training camp and stuff like that and then we came back and yeah i think really difficult time um for anyone like not necessarily for me but for everyone else involved um in your life because you know even your parents and you know family and stuff they want to know what you're doing they want to know like you know house training all this sort of stuff and it was like overwhelming it's a big step up in actual training workload so i mean i was living at home at the time and i just go home after training just go straight to bed yeah and i remember my brother was after a period was like oh ne- we never do anything like and i was just like i think and you, he, he you also very close to your brother. didn't have a, a great understanding of he's, he's five what, years younger you know what it was i think you know junior footy and stuff he trained two nights a week and you play yeah. on the weekends um and this was well, essentially seven days a week. And your brother's quite a social butterfly. So yeah. he would be like going to his training being like, oh, this is great fun, get to hang out. And you'd be going there for like pure fitness and, yeah. and achieve my you goals. Know, granted, I loved it. You know, like my, I even say now, like I would love to just work out every day. Oh, it's my worst nightmare. Yeah. Well, I got great satisfaction I don't know how we're, we've been so compatible so far because I hate it. It's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. And you thrive off it. But anyway, just on the career quickly, um, lasted two years, played zero professional games, did a lot of training, <laughs> a lot. Um, had some a lot of ice baths. reasonably serious injuries. What was um, the worst one you had? Um, well, I had a few soft tissue injuries and I think they're the ones that I remember most vividly because they were the most ongoing issue. Yeah. Um, and I'd had them from probably when I was like 16. Yeah, they just kept popping so up and then it would be okay. It became and- like a bit of a mental thing for me about them. I couldn't couldn't mentally get past it. No. Um, I think the worst injury, probably the one that I think hurt the most was when I broke my back. Mm. I got need in the back. Um, I just had some sort of minor fractures off the side of the vertebrae and they still just float there they never reattach yeah and that you still have a lot of like back issues yeah now. that's that's been i would say the one that still caught the causes me issues it's long term um so that i mean i mean it wasn't the worst because i ended up playing the rest of the game yeah um but it was more so once my body cooled down i then 
really struggled for a while. Oh, yeah. You were grumpy and I I just couldn't understand it because I was like, well, your back isn't technically broken. Oh, such an asshole. And then I did my ankle in my last game ever um, and I haven't played a game since then. And... I'm not sure how I felt about that. You know, I'm not sure where my mind was at, but I think at some point, you know, like I I have realized after my AFL career was that like, and this is, you know, people sort of glorify playing AFL and stuff like yeah. that. And I think because, you know, a lot of young guys and now girls, that's their dream. And to get, you know, like I never played a game. I was on professional list for two years. So depends who you're comparing it to and depends you know what people think is good or not good whether mm. they will think that's an achievement or not um for me like i'm always you know i never promote it and stuff like that because for me like that was nowhere near what i wanted to achieve yeah and not that i necessarily view it as a failure but i just you know i think if your goal is to be the best at something then you know if you don't achieve that and I think that's made harder by, you know, having friends, close friends who have gone on to achieve that. And have been so successful and they're still absolutely killing it. I think that's always the hard thing is like, you know, I wish them every success and I'm so happy for their success and I truly am. But I think when, when you wanted that to be you so badly... You know, I will never... I'll never truly believe that whatever I achieved... Was or good what, enough. what level I got to was was successful mm. because it was nowhere near what I wanted it to be. Yeah, and I'm I'm you know like realistic enough to go like oh you know like if you look at the maths you know this many people want to play AFL you know only this many people get to be on a professional list you yeah. know all that sort of stuff but and all um, the bumps in the road that like come up of in course everyone's but careers. yeah I think the goal was to you know be the best didn't get it anywhere near that realistically in my mind you did well i think in most people's minds i didn't (laughs) (laughs) so that um yeah for me and i and i think it's always that thing you know if you're working with or if you're playing with someone and you're competing with them and you know you can compete on that level you're always going to compare your you know when you go on to see them doing something whether or not it's you know I still watch games now and I still probably think, and I think everyone who's played at a high level or done something professionally, I know the reality is I could never get out there with my the quality of my body, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff now at the age I'm at. But I could do it at some point in my life. And I think you still always believe, you know, like- Oh yeah, you, you still could. think that you could run out on there, rip through that banner and kick 10 yeah. goals. And realistically- you know, like, and uh, this, you know, it would be stupid, of course. But if they called me up tomorrow and said, do you want to play next weekend? I would say yes. No, you wouldn't. I would, though. I don't know. I would. You say this in, like, the heat of the moment, but nah, then- No, but it's not the heat of the moment. It's like, honestly, like, I know it wouldn't be good for me. And there's <laughs> You'd have a lot to take of, a week off after. <laughs> oh, six months. And there'd be a lot of things I'd be sacrificing for it. And I'd, I'd ultimately sort of do it and be questioning, like, why am I doing this? What am I getting out of this? You know, like I've moved on from that in my life, but I still think I would say yes. Yeah, okay. And I would back myself into uh, to just through effort. Yeah. That I would I would like walk off the field being like I put everything I put into everything it. into it. I would back you with the effort and I w- I would put all of the money that we have ever earned and I'm not like, saying I would get, get it. I wouldn't even get a single touch. No, but, but I still would, probably would do it. You would try as hard as you possibly could. I don't know who the hell's calling me, sorry. Um but you would not give up. Well, I like to think that I wouldn't, but you never know. I like to think that. <laughs> um, but in saying that, also, I swear to god, if you go and play a game of football, I wouldn't. I might rip out my hair. No, I wouldn't. And, I, you know, you get asked all the time and stuff. You to can go play, play, like, play local, local footy and all that sort of stuff. Want. But it would, I would only do it at the highest level or want to. And I know that's not possible um, because – and this has always been the hardest thing, you know, like people ask all the time, like, why haven't I played at any level since I got delisted and then retired? And for me- Because if you can't be the best, you don't want to do it. Well, it's like if I can't try and be the best. And I think 
for me, it was like, I really only ever played football to, to try and achieve a, an end goal. Yeah. And it was not necessarily about enjoyment ever. I don't think I really ever enjoyed playing. No. I think I loved, I loved chasing the goal. Um, but you then- love to have something to work towards and continue chipping away and getting better and stronger and yeah. all of that. You love that. You thrive off of it. And so, yeah, it was never like an enjoyment thing. It was like, in a way, I almost didn't want to play. I just wanted to have the goal of like, okay, I've got to do this to get to the next level and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So the stepping when stones. I got delisted the next season, I was like, you know what? Like I was considering whether to keep pursuing getting back on an AFL list or not. And mentally, I was like fully, that was a hard time in fully our relationship. burnt out from that. Um, so, I I was like, I'm not going to play VFL, which is like the second tier competition. And I was like, I'm going to play for fun and go and sign local footy with my friends. And oh, I remember going and I went and did a clubs. few sessions and I just couldn't, you know, everyone was there, you know, they were trying hard and stuff, but it was more about like community and having fun and... It was like, yeah, of course, you know, like at any level, people are trying hard and stuff like that. But for me, I was just too in my head about it. And I was like, I was like, I'm, I think I need to just step away from this if I'm not going to pursue it a hundred percent. If you can't give it absolutely everything. Because technically, if you're, if you're playing for one of these clubs, a local footy club, you still need to have like a full-time job and that's what you do on the side on your weekends and after work. And you're not the kind of guy that could go to a bloody chippy apprenticeship or whatever and then rock up to footy training and be like sick let's no. go that's yeah, just I'd, not you no nah, i know so i'm i'm sort of all in i think um so yeah i just stepped away from it and then never went back and and in my mind i think your footy career was one of the greatest things for you mentally because you learned so much from it it sort of taught you so many different lessons in such a short period of time. Well, I think it makes you grow up very quickly. Very quickly. Because as, as an 18-year-old, you and when I got drafted, I was the youngest player there. Um, you know, you go into an environment with people who have been professionally playing for... Well, there was a guy there who'd been playing for 20 years. Yeah. Um, you're earning big money when you're a well, big name. I wasn't, but... No, you weren't. <laughs> but the people that you're surrounded by... Yeah, and by- you go into a professional environment and it's very different to sort of junior footy and local footy and stuff like that. And they try and prepare you for it, but... I don't think Yeah, you it makes really you can. grow up. And obviously, there was the whole... During my two years at Essendon, there was probably the biggest scandal in AFL history at our club, um, which was, well, I guess everyone calls it the drug saga. If you want to, you can obviously Google that. You can just look up Essendon Drug Saga if you don't know about it. Um, um, most of or Aussies will if you want to hear more about like my actual time at Essendon, um, I touch on it a fair bit in episode thirty of the Dylan Friends podcast. I love how you know the number. Well, I looked it up before because I knew oh, I was gonna. I didn't want to go too much into. It's a long story. Oh, it's so long. Um, but yeah, it's sort of episode thirty, Dylan Friends podcast with Hal Hunter. Yes, um, and we talk <laughs> about it a lot more in there, and um, yeah, so that was I just have moved on from footy, but I think I don't know, I don't think I'll ever really like be able to move on. You never will, no, because you never achieved what you wanted. No, but I'm also probably uh, I probably a lot of people would consider me unrealistic in a lot of things. You know, like I, I, th- like that, I would say it's it's probably like you know if I'm objectifying myself, I would say it's probably my best attribute, but maybe my biggest weakness is that I really think that like nothing's unachievable. And I I can vouch for that. Yeah, you're a bit of a psycho. You're like, no, nah, I can do it. Well, it's not necessarily just about me. I think it's for anyone. I would I would say. Oh, if I told you I wanted to go to space and be an astronaut you would be like well what do you need to do to do it why can't you do it well i think it like i I don't know much about being an astronaut bella but i i think most things are achievable to a certain extent Mm -hmm. and you know tattooing is a great example of that our careers um and the shops and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and i think of course, you know, in every in every field, job, whatever, there's going to be someone who's just got a great talent and that was the thing that they were sort of, I guess, destined to do. But I think the, the, the other 99% of people who do those jobs amazingly and have great professional careers doing whatever, 
you, you know, that's something they chose to do and made a concerted effort to to try and achieve that. And I think, you know, for me, it's always been, you know, physical things, you know, like some sort of sport or whatever. And Yeah, because that's what drives um, you mainly. Yeah, and it's it's like I think I, having done it to a certain level with the football, I, I've got this confidence that... I feel, you know, if I really wanted to do something and I've got, you've got to really truly want to do it, you know, because you've got to be willing to sacrifice other things in your life. And um, that's always the thing I come back to, you know, like so naive, but recently got more into sort of Muay Thai, kickboxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And because I do both of them, the people at the gyms, they always ask me like, oh, you're going to compete in MMA and all that sort of stuff. And at some point i probably would have been like yep you know i'm just going to go hard at that but you know like i'm not willing to sacrifice the aspects of my life that i would need to in order to pursue that so that's probably comes with age you know i've grown up a bit and stuff but i think goodness i would say and we talk about this all the time at the shop i would say you know if you want to do something like a good example you want to become a professional tattooer like every single person who currently tattoos professionally wasn't a tattooer at some point exactly there would be a handful who yeah who's their their parents tattooed or their brother or whatever yeah but everyone else has made it happen and that's probably that's that's with any career like you didn't well some people obviously born into it and you know they took on the family business or whatever but you're not born into this world where it's like okay this is your job this is what you're gonna do yeah you need to learn all of this while you're young and just keep going like yeah you have to start not knowing anything and each day you're going to learn something that gets you a little bit closer to your goal definitely and that's you know we talk about this a lot at the shop with you know because essentially carlisle tattoo co which is across two locations hal gets um, into deep chats with people oh big time well you know so me and bobby who started it and then bella when she finished her apprenticeship became part of um the team there as well you know, it was essentially a small startup. It was just us three at the start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's turned- It was us three in a 24 square metre shop. Yep. And we were just hoping that we could all tattoo every single day. That was it. And, that was you our know, goal. we had these sort of grander goals, especially me and Bobby. I guess your goal mainly, I would think, was to just learn how to tattoo. My only goal <laughs> at that point was to make sure I had one person every day to tattoo. That was my only goal. Yeah. And, you know, like, we'll Start get, small. we'll <laughs> ideally get Bobby on at some point. Bobby's our, yeah, he taught me to tattoo. He's well, I don't know if he's going to come on. I'm going to have to force him to. No, but yeah. So he's, Bobby Skins has taught me to tattoo. He's my mentor in tattooing and the career and business um, partner. Business partner. You best know, friend. Best friend, stuff like that. So, um, you know, like, I don't know. I don't think he wants to come on, but no. I think at some point we will get him on and we talk about this sort of stuff. But, you know, I think it's easy to look at something when it's at, you know, a, a larger scale like Carlisle Tattoo Co is now yeah. and think, you know, it was always like that and, or, you know, it was easy and stuff like that. But, you know, I, me and Bobby, we used to go to the tan and run, and we're not good runners, either of us. And we would run two or three laps of the tan, slow as. And we would literally just talk about like- There'd just be business scheming. Literally just brainstorm ideas for ages. And we would do it so much. And every single, like we spoke about a lot, a lot of stuff, but every single thing that we really nailed down to was like, yes, we could do that. We should do that. Why How don't we, we try this? Do How are we going to do it? We've gone on to do to some extent. Yes. And I think, you know, a lot of people look at people who are- you know, in a position of power or, you know, some level of success or a higher, like a higher in the hierarchy than they are and go like, oh, you know, they must have had money to do it or, you know, they must have had family who helped them out. Or, yeah, they got handed this opportunity, yeah. not And all this sort of stuff. And of course, there's always a level of luck involved in any success. There just has to be. But I, I honestly believe it's more about Firstly, mindset. Secondly, setting the goals and then being realistic about how you can go and achieve them. And for us, you know, I always look back and I'm like a great example. You know, we've we've got the shop, 
the two shops on Carlisle Street and I think there's 15 of us work there. Yes. Yep. Uh, I'm not even sure. I don't know. We'll go with that. Um, and it was like that was that was there was obviously an end goal. It was like you know how good would it be if we could make the shop, you know, get to this level or be like you know this shop that we look up to or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when we first started, it was like what can we actually do now? What's achievable? What's going to work for us? And we started with possibly the smallest location you can get in Melbourne. And we just built it up from there. Yeah. And once it got to the point where we definitely needed more room, it was like, cool, we'll go to that next level. We'll expand to that. And then you just progress that way. And I, I, you know, when I talk to the younger guys at the shop who have either just finished their apprenticeships or, you know, been tattooing for a few years and stuff, I'm, I'm like, for me, you know, four or five years ago, you know, I hadn't this wasn't even considering this stuff. My whole thing was just about tattooing. Yeah. All I wanted to do was do good tattoos, build up a customer base, make enough money that I could and have a roof live. over your head. That was it. And you know, then Bobby put it in my head. He was like, "Hey, we could do these things," and it sort of just progressed from there. Yeah. So yeah, I think I can't remember what we were talking about initially, but I would say like, for anyone who was thinking about wanting to tattoo or where they're at in their career, it's like. Or any career that you just want to definitely take a big step up. Yeah, I I think it's like there's so many avenues and opportunities these days. Yeah. To sort of get to where you want to get to, or make a few like achievable goals, like realistic goals, and just chip away at it. Keep working. Keep like using any opportunity you can to build up your career. And you'll realise that when you actually change, like, that mindset, this is, like, such a weird pep-up talk. I'm into it. But, oh, you, you love this I stuff. I write in every notes about every episode that we're going to do that we look over when we're recording it. I always write, like, pump-up speech. But I we know. Haven't, we haven't so got to do weird. one yet because we just haven't got on it. You do them every day anyway. But, yeah, just make those, like, small achievable goals and keep chipping away. And once you've, like, actually ticked one off, like – Go that next step higher. Don't just like be like, oh, cool, I've done that. I'm really stoked with that. Always like work for more because if you work hard, you deserve to be rewarded. Yeah. And we were saying yesterday, we ended up, I probably bored the fuck out of my customers yesterday because we, we had a meeting, a shop meeting yesterday with all oh, the- You were revved up everyone, yesterday. And Bobby did all the talking. We had a little booklet and um, it was about sort of goals for next year and- you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, Bobby made a good point that it was like this year, you know, he didn't really try and progress himself that much and that he looks back now and he's like, yeah, he's had a good year, you know, work-wise, financially, all this sort of stuff. He was like, I could have done so much more. It feels like he's missed a lot of opportunities. And I was sitting there and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm the same, you know, like not necessarily got complacent and stuff like that, but probably had my mind on other things and, you know, was looking more for time to relax and get away from work than I than I was to really sort of try and drive my career more. Mm-hmm. And it was like, even he said that, and then I went and drew two new designs yesterday morning before my tattoo. And it was like, I remember, you know, when we were walking around the tan, it was like, I'd leave those sessions like so excited. And I was like, fuck, we're going to do yeah, this. And we it was were- when we were in lockdown and you were only allowed like two people to go out and exercise. So I wasn't allowed to come, which thank goodness, because I would have never run. But you would come home revved up. Oh, and I had to like call Bobby and be like, mate, if you're going to rev him up that hard, at least like walk two laps and calm him down before you send him home to me. Because oh, I'd be I'm like relaxing it. in lockdown. And he would come home and be like, all right, Bella, we're doing this. We're doing that. Oh, my God. It's giving me like anxiety thinking well, about your intensity. I'm hyped up about it now. And that's what I was saying yesterday to some of the young guys at the shop is like, like literally anything's possible, you know, and you can have the most outrageous idea, you know, like, you know, you can tattoo, you've only tattooed for three years and you go like, fuck, I would love to own a shop in New York. You know, that's your ultimate goal. Or you're like, oh, how crazy would that be? And all this sort of stuff. And it's like, then you just work backwards from that. You go, cool. That's not, that's not realistic. That's not achievable now. It's you not know, in like, my foreseeable there's future. No, six months. There's no pathway to get there at the moment and stuff like that. But you just work your way back. You're like, what could I do? What could I do? What could I do? And it might be that your only option now or the best option is to just, you know, work on your social media or work on your customer service, you know, like really basic stuff. But it's like 
you know that that's the first step in your progression to ultimately get to whatever you want it to be. And as we say to everyone at the shop, it's like, your goals might be different from mine. You know, mm. I might want to have a quiet life and have a house and just have, you know, three customers I can tattoo every single day, five days a week in Melbourne. But, you know, other people in the shop might have goals of being able to work one month in every, you know, in 12 different cities around the world each year. Yeah. And I think all of those things are definitely achievable, but you've got to know what you want to do and you've just got to work towards it. And we've seen, you know, like tangible results from some of the younger guys at the shop who I remember, you know, I won't go into necessarily what he's done, but Aaron, who was on a few weeks ago, I remember we were running and always happens when we're running. I don't know why, but. I think it's because you're so amped up. Yeah. You well, got you got all your bloody boyfriends with you. He started the at the shop and we were like, hey, come running with us. And we you were just- You forced him to. He well, almost yeah, vomited on the first did. run. It was very funny. We just pump out these 10K runs and we were just talking and, you know, Aaron was new to Melbourne and he was sort of like- you know, he's he was thinking very sort of you know short sighted with his goals. You he, know, just like, to he just be wanted a to be able to do some tattoos and get some customers and stuff. And I was like, man, that'll happen. But like, what's beyond that? What do you want to do? And he sort of had these goals. Some were financial, some were career, and um, you know, I'm not taking any credit for anything because he's done all the work and stuff like that. But I think you know, it was those initial conversations where we just were all planting the seed. We were like, mate, like that's definitely possible. Yeah. You know, and I think I think one important thing that obviously helps is when you have people around you that actually want you to succeed and want you to be better. Sorry, Hal's just opening his coconut water. Coconut water. We're really into it lately. But, um, yeah, like having people around you in the environment that are saying, like, I think you can do this and I want to support you instead of having friends being like, yeah, fucking right, oh, mate. Like, you don't want to be associated with that crap negativity because it's not going to help you feel better about yourself and level up no way and you and you sort of you know you realize obviously you know i've always been i guess drawn to people who are super driven and you know that comes you're a good one to amp people up because you you're ready to get them like all fired yeah. and go not fired, and I, fired there's up. like key things in my i remember you know throughout my sort of i guess like teen childhood and stuff like that where like you get exposed to something for the first time and it might be something that's you know not like well, here's a good example, and it sounds, you know, it's about financial situation and stuff like that. And, you know, I was really lucky to grow up in a great family and super supportive and everything like that. Um, you know, by no means were we struggling or anything like that, but it was definitely like, I would say, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was like, I would just say it's like normal, as in like, we just ate at home every single day. Yeah, you would you have know. like a sit-down family dinner and-, and- your and parents would like be like, oh, how was your day? All right, so what are we doing with footy like this week? But it's like never got takeaway, never went on holidays, all that sort of stuff. So it yeah. was like- you had a very, very- Didn't, didn't have like n- nice cars or anything like that. And um, so I would say just like- Just focused on just, all your general family being happy and healthy and yeah. just going on with your days. Just like middle class. And I remember when I was lucky enough to start off at high school in Wesley and I can't remember exactly what day it was, but- got off the bus and everyone was getting lots of people getting dropped off and it was like there was people getting dropped off in ferraris and range rovers <laughs> and stuff like that and it sounds no but it sounds so stupid because it means nothing it doesn't mean you're a good person doesn't no, mean you're happy nothing. doesn't mean you have a good life anything like that but i always i looked at that and not necessarily that i would ever buy a ferrari oh thank god i hate them but i was like those things that you see on TV and or and in media and stuff, you think is like just so unachievable. Yeah, material materialistic possessions are so meaningless. The, well, they but are, they, but, it's, but they sh- they make us think that they are. They show your wealth. But and it your was success. more. It was more. I was looking at it going like, cool. I'm not into Ferraris necessarily, but the reason I don't have one right now isn't because I don't like them. It's because I can't afford one. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, I can afford it. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying is like, so I looked at that and I was like, all of those things I'd only ever seen in movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just like essentially fake to me. Yeah. And then I saw it in reality and they were the parents of kids I was going to school with. And I was like, you know, like those things that I thought were just so unachievable and no one ever had. It's like, well, someone's out there buying them, Mm-mm. you know? 
Someone's yeah, otherwise out they're there, not going to be Someone's out the there road. buying massive houses, you know, traveling to, you know, on holidays all the time. You know, people are doing those things. And it doesn't mean they're happy and all that sort of stuff, but it, it I think it re- and I always think back to it is like those that moment when I started to realize that I was like these things are achievable. Yeah, and why can't I you know? work towards and them? And some people it's much more easily achievable than others but i honestly think for everyone regardless of what situation you're in you can achieve your goals if that's actually really what you want can't believe we've made this whole episode a pep talk without even i could go on i could go on for hours i feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes about this oh i feel like we've been talking for five hours because this is all i hear him (laughs) talk about pep talks well and i always think you know like you know and it's so whether it's vain or not i actually don't care but I didn't know a single person when we were growing up out a swimming pool until I went to high school. And I, I used to, like me and my brother, anytime there's a pool, swimming flat out. Like middle of winter, swimming. I remember when- He's referring to coming over to my house and he does this all the time. So how, we just I'm watched, not saying just you. There was lots of other kids at yeah, school who had swimming pools. We just watched like the last season of the OC oh. and ha- I have to stitch you up here. Stitch me up. And Hal has always said since we met in school that when he moved to- my school, I'm going to say my school because I was there first, mine, um, he felt like Ryan and he looked l- like, thought that like I was like the Marissa kind. Like I came from like a very fortunate family. My family worked very hard to have what they have, but I was self-made very fortunate. Though. Your dad, self-made, dropped yes. out of school in year 10. Both of my parents self-made. didn't finish school. They both worked incredibly hard to give me and my sister the childhood and life that we had. Um, but Hal legitimately thinks and still thinks to this day yep. that he is the Ryan. I said it like, no, 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 no. I explained this last week. I don't think I'm you explained Ryan. explained it to my dad. Because Ryan, you know, was a, a foster orphan kid, all this sort of stuff. What I'm saying is that show is very nostalgic for me. <laughs> Firstly, because I didn't have Foxtel, so I didn't, I couldn't watch it. So I only uh, the first time I watched it was at your house. Yeah, and you complained the whole time I made you watch I it. I didn't even know it was, what it was, it was about. Lame. Oh, so I was like, you know, firstly that was the thing. I was like, oh, okay. And the whole premise of the show, The OC, if you haven't seen it, and you, you have to watch it if you haven't <laughs> seen it, is foster, well, like orphan kid essentially Who's comes like from a bad juvie. background, gets essentially fostered by this wealthy family. In a, and they live in a really wealthy area, and then he just in gets ex- Orange County gets exposed to this different way of life. And I'm not saying I'm him. I'm saying <laughs> I resonate with his feeling of the exposure to those things. Yeah, feeling like you don't fit in in that world where people are. Well, it wasn't that driving I, Ferraris. It wasn't that I didn't feel like I fit in, and by no means am I saying that I was hard up or anything like that. I'm just saying. There was only two kids at our school in our year who were from my side of the city. Mm. And we had to catch the bus. And so it was like I had never really ever been over to the southern side of Melbourne. South side. Yeah. And I'm not a big south side, north side divide guy. Oh, I hate that crap. I'm just, the, and you like to play it off as like, oh, you're trying to say you're right. I'm like saying, I'm saying no. I think it's funny. This is, I'm trying to explain that. It was like a whole new world to me. I'd never been in that area of the city. I'd never seen, been exposed to the level of wealth that some people at the school had. Mm. Um, and it was just like, I just remember being exposed. Like the first time you see anything mm. and you're like, fuck, what? Like I've never seen a Ferrari in real life. And then there was several kids getting dropped off to school in them. And mm. I was going- Fuck. And not that I even thought, like, I would love a Ferrari. I was just like, it was just this like- This is just a different world. Yeah. It's just weird to see this And now. It was. And the, and the houses that some people had and the whole- Going to those suburbs that people lived in, I'd never been there in my whole life. Yeah. And I, it just was a- I think it was a formative moment for me. And that's why I love the OC. Because I, they essentially show all those exact same things. Okay, Ryan. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm right. <laughs> He's a good fighter, and I've never been in a fight in my life. Well, is he a good fighter? Well, he punches a lot of people in the yeah, show. Yeah, but does, I, I think, like... He doesn't get beaten, really. Yeah, but can he throw a good punch? He knocks someone or, out. Or is it someone I think he knocks someone out in the first him. episode. Yeah, probably. Yeah, good on him. Yeah. Love that show. All right, R. well... R.I.P. Marissa. That went slightly off topic. Oh, just a bit. <laughs> um... 
Do you want to go through one more question? Sure. I'm scared now. Okay. This one, I think, is directed towards you. What oh. was it like being Hal's apprentice? Oh, fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate. Um, so, being Hal's apprentice was amazing, but terrible, terrifying, incredibly hard. So, we decided- Can when- I just say quickly, I don't think it's- It's never easy to explain because you're only ever one person's apprentice. I know. So, what- Often it's like you would only apprentice under one person, so you can't. You've never apprenticed under anyone else. So you, no, you don't really know. But I, I think, not many people would choose to work under their partner, under their partner that they've been with for so many years. So we, I don't know. It was a weird one. We had a very good, strong relationship at the time, and we were in a really good place and to throw such a spanner in the works and for us to decide that you were technically my boss and I you were, I was your sensei, whatever the hell it is. Master sensei. Master sensei I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. No, is a prodigy? Oh, I don't know. Don't know. I'm not even trying to say asses. it because I don't know. But um, it was a big step to actually say, okay, let's actually give this a go and we'll do it instead of just being like, yeah, cool. It, I really want a tattoo and that's just what you got to do to get there. It We were in New York. Yep. Hal was over tattooing there and we'd been talking about it for a few weeks prior and I was at a point where I was just really, really unhappy with my life and my work and I just wanted to actually do something for me and I have always wanted to – I always wanted to be a tattooer since I was probably like 13, I reckon. Um. And Hal said, all right, fuck it. I'm sick of you being depressed about things that you can fix. So let's fix it. I actually want to take you on as an apprentice. And I've spoken to Bobby about it. And he did that without even speaking to me. Um, And he spoke to Bobby and he spoke to all of the guys at the shop. And at the time that was at Vintique. And they were all, what he said, okay with it. So I assume they were. Sorry, guys, if you weren't. But yeah, so the plan was that I would work my other job during the week. That's pretty standard for apprenticeships. During the week, so Monday to Friday, and then I would work at the shop Friday afternoons, Saturdays, and then Sundays if anyone was tattooing. And we started doing that for like a month or two. And then it got to the point where Hal was like, all right, this is bullshit. You need to fully commit. Like, you're not going to go anywhere unless you really give this a hundred percent so I then gave my two weeks notice at work and I was at the tattoo shop every single day with you as my boss mm-hmm. and it was terrifying I think for any apprentice you know and I've been around a few now um you Cody Luke, Luke Charles and Jack the yep. current apprentice I think the hardest you know, and not everyone has to go through this depending on your age and stuff. I think the hardest thing though is if you've got a previous job or career or whatever. Yeah, and, and juggling. You, and you're making the transition because as we said in previous episodes, you know, apprenticeships, I view more like internships, unpaid. Yeah. Um, you know, you get to a certain, you know, you hang around for a few months and stuff and you ultimately end up getting paid. But I think the start is more so, you know, it's it's hard, it would be hard for anyone to have be making money you know, any amount of money and then go, I'm going to go do this thing yeah. and, you know, not make any money. And some apprentices make it work really well and they work yeah. two or three jobs to, you know, get by. Yeah. But we were in a position where Hal was tattooing full-time. I had a full-time job on a salary, but I was unhappy. And to go for, I'm I've always been a very self-sufficient person. I've always taken care of myself in regards to, you know, paying mm-hmm. your phone bill, all of yeah. that. And it was hard for me because Hal said, you need to do this full time. I will take on all of our fin- like financial burden and pay everything if you're going to commit and actually make this life that yeah. we've spoken about. So it was hard for me to say, okay, cool, you can now be the breadwinner and I just go to work and I have to listen. Well, I think the thing that you actually struggled with the most was – Listening to you, you yes. No, well, you really struggled to separate our personal relationship. And I still do. Yeah, I know you still do. 
But for me, like I didn't struggle with that so much. I was more like I was willing to you're a robot. burn our relationship to the ground <laughs> in order to make you a good tattooer. And that is true. He really and was. <laughs> that wasn't like it, I think just, you know, that was my goal was for you to become a good tattooer. And if you ultimately became a good tattooer and our relationship suffered, I would rather that and you be fulfilled and enjoy your life and have control over your own career and all those sort of things. Which is so lovely for you to say in a way, but is also like, fuck you, asshole. No, but I was. I was like... You just wanted me to absolutely achieve what I have always Yeah, and I knew you could and you were really... I'm not going to say doubted yourself, but oh, I think, I you know, like well, everyone, when they start tattooing, it's like you do your first tattoo and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like even Cody was saying the other week, you know, like it, it you sort of, you do question yourself a lot because. Well, yeah. Why do you no... think that you can put something on someone's body forever? You're just like, yeah. you're sitting there in your own head doing the tattoo being like, why the fuck do I think that I'm good enough to do this? Yeah. And, and why is this person trusting me? For me, yeah, I was, I was, like, that was my whole goal. And, you know, definitely you're a lot more emotional than me and stuff like that. And I'm I not had, that emotional, guys. No, you're not that emotional, <laughs> but you're more than me. And I have emotions. I had no, well, again, I think that, you know, double-edged sword for you was the reason you progress so quickly and is because, is because it, your apprenticeship never stopped. It yeah. was 24-7. So, so but I, I think that was, the, that was the hardest bit for I you. really hate talking about my apprenticeship because there are a lot of people who think that I had it very easy because they think, oh, cool, your husband just said he'd apprentice you and that was it and you just got handed this well, apprenticeship. On some, on some levels, yes, that you is had more opportunities than other people. Easier, I had way more opportunities, sure. but I worked for those opportunities. But I also don't think- You're not doing these tattoos for me. You're not doing my messages no, and all of that. And th- But that's what I struggle with. But and I that's what I hate talking about I don't it. think- Because people perceive it that no, way. No, I know. Well, I don't, I've never had anyone say it to me, but of course there would be some sort of perception out there that it was easier for you. But I actually think on some levels it was way harder. Because I think I, I meant, dealt we, with things that other apprentices didn't have to deal with. I had to go home to someone who'd been telling me all day that I was, you know, my painting was shit. And, and I'd tell you at home as well. Yeah. So, like, legitimately, I would be at the shop and if you're not... So, you'd go into the shop, you do the cleaning, you do the setups, all of that. You make sure every other tattooer is set for the day. You do their stencils. And then when you're not doing anything, you're meant to be drawing, painting and just progressing your design knowledge and what so on. Yeah. Anyway, so I'd be like drawing. Hal would come up to me in between a tattoo and be like, nah, that's shit. Fucking throw it in the bin. And I literally would have spent like two hours doing this painting. So like I'm crushed and I think like, what the fuck have I done with my life? Why am I here if I'm so shit? And then like we'd get home and he'd be like, why haven't you done three paintings today? And I'm like, well, you said this one was shit. And I'd, you know, get emotional. And then he would be like, well, fucking do it good. Like you know how to do it. Oh my there's god! There's a lot ter- of those discussions, terrible. and I do ultimately, you know, I felt bad, you know, when you would cry and stuff like that. And <laughs> that was never my goal, but I think for me, it was like, you know, the thing was like there was so much emotion involved, obviously, because there was no separation between our relationship and our work. And it's hard when someone who you care about so much and like you look up to, when they're absolutely ripping what you are doing daily, and they're being like, "This isn't good enough." Yeah, but I expect the thing, more. the difference is. Is, you know, when I apprentice Luke, I could say, nah, that's shit, you know, like- And he wouldn't get as upset. You know, whatever. And he'd just be like, oh, cool, you know, like- all right. I'll do better. All those sort of things because there's no emotion. He's not like, oh, does he love me? All this sort of shit, yeah. you know, like, but you get getting- So, like, I'd be sitting there being like, is Hal questioning taking me on as an apprentice? Have we just completely fucked our relationship? And am I going to have to go work with the Coles checkout? No, but I, I wouldn't- I was never questioning it. I was always like, knew you could be- better than me at tattooing definitely and have a better career and like you already still don't think no that, but you or you or you currently do more tattoos than me you're busier than me you earn more money than me some of that's by choice you know like <laughs> i choose to you know only do two customers a day all that sort of stuff but you know in some aspects of the careers like you've definitely surpassed me and like that's i've like yeah n- nothing makes me happier at the shop than seeing you just doing your own thing but and I always always knew that, and I wouldn't have taken you on if I didn't think that. But it was like as we've been speaking about for the last hour, you know, my goal was to teach you to tattoo. I knew you could do it, 
and it was like there's there's no emotion and i'm not gonna i was never gonna be happy sitting there going like i know you can do better but i'm just gonna be nice to you and say like oh that's great yeah because you are definitely the kind of guy that is i know you can do better and i'm not gonna stop until i see these results yeah and I, i love that because it it got me to a point of where i am now but it was the hardest thing we've done and it took a huge strain on our relationship, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I, I would never do it again, though. I wouldn't do it again either. <laughs> well, hopefully I don't have to teach another wife how to tattoo. Uh, hopefully you don't. You, you might have another one. You never know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we've talked for quite a long time and we've actually got to get to work and tattoo. I've got a big chest eagle doing up first up. Oh, yep. I'm jealous now. I don't know what I have. Yeah, so we've got to drive across the St. Kilda and get that sorted, but... Um, yeah, firstly, thank you for listening. Um, Thanks as for always. coming along to Hal and Bella Hunter's pep talk. Yep. And this conversation, <laughs> I feel like, went quite naturally because we have it almost every day Yeah. about these things. So, if you want to come into the shop and talk about business, motivation, ideas, schemes, you know, like I guarantee you, whatever you're spruiking, I've definitely thought about before. So that sounds really terrible. It sounds weird. I came out quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Um, whatever platform you're listening on, if you like, subscribe, follow. Uh, <laughs> feel free to leave us some feedback, as always. We don't it's actually know how to read the feedback. Been, no, I can read them. Oh, you do know yeah, now? Yeah, I can't read the reviews. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that is. Um, but yeah, really appreciate everyone listening. Hopefully, this was insightful interesting feel free to dm us some feedback if you got something out of it that's awesome um we'll have you know more guests and friends on here in the future but yeah thanks for listening hopefully this leaves you feeling happier and like you can achieve anything have a nice weekend (laughs) bye